Hello and welcome to Talk D93, Community Consolidated School District 93's podcast hosted by me, Superintendent Dr. David Hill. In it, I sit down from time to time with amazing CCSD 93 staff members or other key figures who impact our district to have conversations about specific CCSD 93 programs, services, roles, events, history, and more. Despite the trying circumstances of this school year, it remains our 100th anniversary as a school district, which is cause for celebration. And to help us celebrate, I could not be more excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Hank Jimitro, who served as CCSD 93's third full-time superintendent from 1996 until 2009. Welcome, Dr. Jimitro. Thank you. Hank, thank you so much for being here. Today we'll discuss a bit about CCSD 93's history during your tenure as superintendent. The first question I have for you is can you start by giving us a little background on your education and professional career leading up to your superintendency? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, but before I do that, I just would like to congratulate everyone in District 93. Um, I just had the opportunity to visit JStream School and see the work that's been done in the innovation centers and the STEM lab, um, or the STEM wing, I guess. It's not really a lab. Um, and I was just blown away with the opportunities that those kinds of spaces will provide to the staff and to the students uh, in terms of their learning. And had the opportunity to run into one of the teachers who was here 23 years ago, and uh, I became superintendent. And uh, uh, Ryan commented on the fact that you know we had started making technology innovations. 20-some years ago and could have never dreamed of the possibilities that now exist for students. So congratulations to everyone on the work that you've accomplished and the kinds of opportunities that you provide to the students who live in District 93. Well, I was certainly proud to be able to show you where we have come in District 93, so it, thank you for it that. It was amazing. And so uh, glad to see that things have continued to improve and grow and change over time because that's what it's all about for students. Uh, in terms of my background, uh, I uh, was a lifelong educator, started off as a special education teacher uh, for several years teaching children with learning disabilities and uh, uh, emotional uh, needs uh, at the time that learning disabilities was just becoming a defined field in the state of Illinois. Um, I also taught regular education uh, in fifth grade uh, for a number of years, and uh, both of those experiences were in DeKalb, Illinois, um, where I went to school at uh, Northern Illinois University. Um, I became a principal in DeKalb for a couple of years and then moved to a principalship uh, of an elementary school, a K-2, or I'm sorry, a K-3 building in Glenview, which was a dream job of working with young students and uh, providing them incredible opportunities for literacy and development. Um, and from there, I became an assistant superintendent for instructional services in Palatine. And from there, I moved to District 93 as their superintendent, uh, as a novice superintendent uh, a long time ago now, but uh, spent 13 wonderful years here um, with an extremely talented staff and a really committed, dedicated board of education uh, supported by a really committed community. So right. it right. was a great 13 years. Thank you for sharing that. What did you consider your main objectives during your tenure as superintendent, 
and how how were those accomplished? Um, I think the objective of the superintendent uh, and really any educational leader is to get obstacles out of the way and provide the support necessary for the staff, students, and community to work together and um, provide great learning opportunities for students. And so I always saw my job as superintendent as um, navigating the external environment for the staff um, to provide them with the resources that they needed um, and to challenge the obstacles in the political environment or uh, from various constituencies um, that might get in the way of teachers doing a really outstanding job with students. And fortunately, um, District 93 has always been blessed with a really talented, dedicated staff. And so helping them do their best work was always my goal as a superintendent. So one of the things that you're credited with bringing to this district is the philosophy of continuous improvement. So I'm going to retell a little story that I told you in the car. In 2009, I had the opportunity through my doctoral program to visit a district leadership team meeting here in District 93 and watch you deliver what continuous improvement looks like within our school system. I was so fascinated by continuous improvement and what they were doing in District 93, I told myself at that time that I needed to work here. And thankfully, two years later, I was hired as the assistant superintendent of business services in this district, and now, obviously, I'm the superintendent. But a lot of that started with your bringing into the district the Baldridge philosophy and the continuous improvement philosophy. Can you talk a little bit about how you brought that in and some of the benefits that you saw during your tenure as superintendent that obviously has led us to things like the JStream STEM lab and the other things that we're doing as a district? Uh, sure. Um, a continuous improvement philosophy is really just an uh, organizational excellence kind of approach. And it's really based, uh, you know, Baldridge is a particular model, which I think works really well, but it's based on being really clear about what the expectations are for the organization, in our case, a school district and student learning, um, and to define those expectations develop a plan by which you want to implement those expectations over a period of time and all the things that need to happen to make that occur, and then to have a set of agreed upon results um, that you measure to see whether or not you're making the progress that you want to be making. Um, and so one of the things that um, I take a small degree of pride in, um, because it re was really the work of others, not me, but setting up a system in which we really improve the educational learning opportunities for students and the academic and learning performance of students. And we measured that carefully over time to say, what is it that we need to be continuing to do because it's working and showing uh, results? What is it that we need to change because it's not working and it's not producing the results that we want? And what is it that we need to do to be innovating and moving towards the future? Because um, you know, while you define the expectations of where you want to be going, we as educators don't really know what the world is going to look like for students of today because it's going to change drastically. So how do you prepare them for um, an un unknown future uh, in a way that helps maximize their potential? Um, and so. 
when you think about all of those issues, we began that journey. Um, when I joined the school district, probably the biggest conversation was around the need for space. Um, District 93 was in a really strong growth pattern at that particular time. Student population had increased. They had um, completed Heritage Lake School and was putting a renovation or putting an addition on Western Trail School. And there was a strong segment of the community that felt like we didn't have enough space. Class sizes were large. Schools were somewhat crowded, uh, depending on uh, the grade level in various places. Um, and so people were talking about the need to build a school. And um, we took a step back, and the board was very thoughtful in the fact that rather than defining just the space needs, we started by defining the educational needs and the community expectations for what they wanted out of their school system. Um, and we spent about a year in that process with a broad-based staff and community um, group that defined what they thought the educational program should look like. Because at the time, we didn't have art and music education. Um, uh, we didn't have much technology in place. It was just emerging at that point in time. And so by defining the expectations that the community had for what they wanted out of their school system and what the staff thought was possible in terms of the kinds of services and programs that were necessary, um, we then took the next step to say, what kind of educational facilities um, do we need to implement that kind of program? And as a result of that, um, we realized we needed to pass a referendum to pay for all of that to build the schools, but also an operating referendum to um, uh, have the funds to operate the kind of program that they wanted. And the community supported those efforts um, in a very strong fashion. And we went about doing the work of really adding Cloverdale School, but renovating all of the schools um, to bring them up to the standards that we needed for the program that we wanted to offer. And we created a strategic plan to map out how we were going to implement a new instructional program for the next five years. And uh, all of that planning and work that took place was based on a continuous improvement philosophy by trying to define where we wanted to go, how we were going to get there, and how we were going to measure our success in that journey. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the mindset that you have instilled in the district with continuous improvement still exists today, well, which to is a um, is evident based on how we have renovated innovation centers, how we have brought technology onto a one-to-one -one platform, how we have built STEM labs. So we're very thankful for the efforts that you ground broke, shall we say, for our district to be able to move forward. In well, what we're it, doing. Wasn't, it wasn't me groundbreaking. It, it no. was a desire on the part of the staff in the community to take what was a good school district that had done many, many things really well and provided a really solid education. But at that point in time, the needs of students were really changing significantly. We had a growing uh, second language population, uh, the English uh, learner population. We had a growing special education population. We had a growing overall population to some degree. And so we had a lot of needs to address in terms of where we were going to 
move forward or how we were going to move forward and address those kinds of needs. And, you know, one of the things that um, I think is somewhat uh, not always seen because it's not always really public, but one of the things that District 93 did uh, through the uh, leadership of a lot of different people, Jill and Sharon uh, and others, was to really renovate the curriculum process by which um, differentiation for the vast array of student learning needs became part of the fundamental curriculum. And so it wasn't that you had a curriculum to teach to the middle. You had a curriculum that was developed and the, based on the talents of the teachers that worked on that, they defined what were the adaptations that needed to be made for special education students or ELL students or gifted students, and how, do you, how did you differentiate within a regular classroom for that vast array of needs? Um, and that was all based on the work of the talent and professionalism and expertise of the staff putting that together um, so that colleagues could benefit from each other's professional knowledge. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned a few, but looking back, what were some of the main challenges you faced as superintendent? Um, I think there were a couple of them. Um, you know, changing an organization and, and moving in a slightly different direction is always a little bit of a change um, in ter and a challenge to say an organization thinks one way and has a history of how they've gone about doing work and when you're asking them to think differently or to take a different approach, it takes some time and nurturing to do that, and there may be some resistance. Um, fortunately, the professionalism on the part of the staff really helped that. Um, we had very talented leaders helping to lead that effort, um, but we also had a committed union that was looking at innovation as a positive um, move forward. Um, and so bringing people together to understand that philosophy and to take the time to explain it and to nurture um, those efforts was a bit of a challenge initially, um, but people stepped up to the plate and really um, became experts at it. District 93, and this may still be the case, was recognized as one of the leaders in process management in terms of how did you go about setting up processes for all different kinds of things, from food service through transportation, through um, you know, building and grounds operations, as well as all the curriculum areas. So that was one challenge. Technology was certainly a huge challenge. Um, you know, technology was just emerging, and you know, the concept of having a computer lab in each school so that kids had access to get on a computer for 30 minutes once a week was <laughs> innovative, or at least emerging at that point in time. Um, and so putting a, uh, when we did the renovation, putting computers in every classroom was a big step and a big step forward because the infrastructure of the building was not gonna support that. So we had to put in the necessary electrical work to support that, the infrastructure for wiring to support those kinds of efforts. Um, and so making those kinds of changes. Um, the other change that was uh, maybe not quite as public um, was also this really increased 
political pressure from the state on state testing at the time. It was just kind of emerging. Um, it, had, it, had, it had been in place for a few years, but there was an, an increased emphasis on um, the results of state tests. And one of the challenges, uh, I think, was helping the community and the staff understand that paying attention to results doesn't mean that we want you to teach to the test. It means that we want you to provide great learning opportunities for students and help them be successful, and those results should show up on the tests and the measures that we use. Um, but Illinois was putting a lot of emphasis on results at that point in time, and it was taking a lot of time. It was taking instructional time away, and a lot of issues were not very fair uh, in the testing process to a number of students. Um, I'll give credit to the Board of Education, I can't remember the exact year, but they made a change in which they wanted all students to take the test regardless of their skills and ability um, and sit it for the entire test period in the classroom. So a special education student who might be in a self-contained special education classroom a student who might have recently moved into the district within the last month and spoke no English was supposed to take the reading test, and there was no exceptions for removing students from um, taking the test and sitting for that 40-minute period of time. And the, we, we talked about this with the board because the staff thought it was exceedingly unfair to a large segment, uh, I shouldn't say a large segment, to a segment of the population of children that that just wasn't a healthy environment to put them in. And the board took the stance that they challenged the state to say they were not going to do that. And the state superintendent told us he was going to remove funding if we did not um, have students sit for that period of time to take those tests. Um, and we got in a rather heated debate over a period of time before the testing week started, and we finally reached a compromise that changed the regulation for the state to say um, certain students could be excluded after a period of time if it was clear that they could not participate in the test and not have to sit in an environment for 40 minutes doing absolutely nothing. So. Um, you know, those kinds of challenges, and, and to some degree, that's what I mean by removing the obstacles. That was not a battle that teachers needed to fight, but it was a battle that needed to be fought for teachers because they felt it was inappropriate and unprofessional to put children in that kind of environment. But it was a battle that needed to be fought at Springfield, mm -hmm. not at the classroom level. Right. Certainly for the betterment of students. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, you did share a few successes um, already, but what are some of the other greatest successes of the district during your tenure as superintendent? Um, I, I think the greatest success is one of the things that I uh, mentioned earlier, and that was the continuous improvement of student learning performance over that period of time. Um, based on the you know, work that teachers did and how they paid attention to what students were accomplishing, we saw really significant improvement in, in learning levels and performance levels for students. Um, 
We also saw increased satisfaction levels on the part of staff and parents with the school district and how they felt about it. We were also measuring student satisfaction at the time. I don't know if you still do that, we but still, uh, um, but you know we were seeing increased performance levels. One of the one of the biggest challenges I always saw as a superintendent, and I understand it kind of intellectually, but it always it was always a struggle for me that how do schools take students that are exceedingly excited about being in school as kindergartens have really high satisfaction levels when they come to school. And by the time they got to the middle school level, that satisfaction level had started to diminish, uh, sometimes pretty significantly. And it was, the question was, what is it that we're doing as an organization that is producing that result? And you know, there's lots of reasons that you can come up with for that, but it was always one of those things to say, wouldn't it be great if kids in eighth grade had the same satisfaction level with school that they had as kindergartners. Wouldn't that be a great accomplishment in terms of how kids felt about being in school? So maybe you've accomplished that now, hopefully, but... Um, We're still using the continuous improvement process okay. to um, get to that level, yes. But we are um, certainly surveying our students. We're talking to our students, try to figure out things like engagement, why they are. Um, diminishing as they get older, try to figure out some of those things. But like you said, it's a it's a puzzle to try to figure out what happens from kindergarten to them starting eighth grade. Right. Well, if you look at if you look at some of the opportunities that they'll now have in the STEM labs mm -hmm. and the kind of um, how those environments have been redesigned to be student friendly um, and really designed around student engagement, mm -hmm. that was something we didn't think enough about 25 years ago. Right, right. Any other interesting facts or items you'd like to share with our uh, D93 podcast listeners today? Um, no, I, I, I mean, nothing in particular other than the fact that I really am thrilled with the opportunity that we got a chance to visit the schools and to see some things look similar, but some things look very, very different. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how those, those new environments um, will help students progress and, and take advantage of the opportunities that are going to be presented to them. I also wish the D93 family you know, all the best in dealing with this COVID crisis. I know it's created huge challenges for everyone involved in the educational enterprise and to help you know, address those kinds of issues. It sounds like you've done some really good work in terms of providing opportunities for um, teachers to make some choices about working from home or working from the classroom and uh, treating individuals as professionals so that they can do their best work with students as things are going, are being addressed right now and students are trying to do their best in learning electronically. You know, I hope someday soon, in the near future, everybody's going to be back together because there's a huge dimension of um, learning that is based not just on the academics that you're learning, but the interaction and the social dimension of children being together in school and the, the kind of sense of family that comes with that, which 
you lose when everybody's looking at a computer screen rather than looking at each other. So, you know, I just wish you all the best in terms of moving forward and um, continuing on a continuous improvement path. So, Well, I appreciate that. And as you mentioned during your superintendency, I am honored to be surrounded by a, a group of dedicated, professional, and, and committed uh, D93 family members that are doing what they can to provide our students with the best academic, social, and emotional experience here in District 93. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Jimitro. I am so thankful for you to spend some time with us today and talk about your tenure as superintendent. It has been my honor and my privilege, and I hope to see you very soon. Take care, sir. Thanks, David. Talk D93 listeners, please subscribe to Talk D93 on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't miss a thing from CCSD 93 by following us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also find me on Twitter at drhilld 93 Join us next time for a conversation with CCSD 93's fourth full-time superintendent of schools, Dr. Bill Shields, as we will discuss his tenure.